Coming to you live from the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. Welcome into Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio. Nathan Zagura and Gibbe here in Berea, and we are joined by Browns Radio Network analyst, the sideline reporter for your Cleveland Browns, the host of the next level as well, Gerard Cherry, joining us live from Arizona, site of the Super Bowl this Sunday. Coming up on today's show, we'll have Gerard with you for the first hour. We're going to take a look at the safety room. We are also going to look at some of the best prop bets for this Super Bowl as well. And then at 2 o'clock, new Browns defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz will join the show live in studio. We'll go around the league. Plus, we'll have Adam Teicher joining the program via the Twisted Tea Hotline, the ESPN NFL Nation Chiefs reporter. That comes up at 2.30. And obviously, we got to talk a little bit about the Hoff as well, as we'll find out tonight if Joe Thomas is a first ballot Hall of Famer. But first, Gerard, welcome to the show. How are you doing? And what's going on in Arizona? What's the vibe? What's the buzz? What's going on down there in Paradise Valley, my favorite place on the planet? I see why, man. I've never spent a significant amount of time in Scottsdale, oh Arizona God, before. But I am like, oh, my God, what have I been missing hanging out in Tempe and Glendale? I've yes. been tripping. So, man, it is incredible here. Nathan, I'm here to tell you, I've never, I'm a foodie. Yep. I've never oh, great seen food. more restaurants that I've never heard of and more places that I have heard of all congregated in one area. It is insane, and I didn't even got to the about the game itself, but you can certainly sense and feel the buzz around the area for the game and what it represents. Now, typically, Nathan, I like Super Bowls that are congregated like New Orleans, where it's concentrated sure. in one area. And in this particular one, it's spread out really between three to four locations. You got yep. some things going on in Glendale. You got some things going on in Phoenix. You got some things four areas, actually. You got some things going on in Tempe. And then you have things going on in Scottsdale as well. So it is spread out. Yeah, that's one of the things people don't realize it is spread. It reminds me of what, like the Super Bowls in Dallas, and you have stuff in Fort Worth, you have stuff in Dallas, you have stuff Arlington, in Arlington. It's right. like all over the place uh, in that sense. But listen, they call it Paradise Valley for a reason. It's not an Ooh. ironic name. It's because it's stunningly beautiful. You got Camelback Mountain. You got blue skies. You got the cactus. You got the golf courses. You got the food. By the way, if you like tacos, check out Barrio Queen. I think you will be quite pleased with that. That's in Old Town Scottsdale. There's a great Italian place right next to it as well. Uh, there's just great food everywhere up at the sanctuary. They've got Elements as a phenomenal restaurant. You're going to have a phenomenal time down there. I right, love you Scottsdale. You got to write all this down for me, man. Yeah, I, I, yeah, for sure. Just text me. I'll give you, I got I could have you covered for food in Scottsdale for like weeks and good food at that. Lons at the Hermosa. Oh, baby. Out in the patio. Oh, you're going to have a, a real treat. But anyway, all right, let's talk for a second about this game. You know, are you getting a sense of any buzz? It, it's weird because it's one seed versus one seed. It's two teams that have not lost with their starting right. quarterbacks, you know, in since I think October for both of those football teams. And yet it, it almost feels like this game is kind of flying under the radar, even though it's as good a game as you could hope for. It, it totally is. And the reason why is because what do we normally like to do in these games? We like to declare someone the underdog. We like to have that one who's going to pull the Agni defeat away from the thought that is going to take place into a situation where they overcome the obstacles. But in this situation, who's overcoming what? Both of these are what? Phenomenal football teams. So what we're more than likely looking at, Nathan, is a stalemate, 
really, and I know that doesn't make a lot for excitement for most people, but seeing football played at its highest level is always exciting to me, and I believe these two football teams are going to provide that. But the storylines are hard to pull out. I know that people are throwing out there, and it's important, and it has historical significance of two black quarterbacks playing in the game. But at the same time, again, you can't sell a whole game on that narrative. It's about ultimately about playing the game. And like you say, I hate to say, unfortunately, though, that because they're two good football teams, it's going to be hard-pressed to create that scenario that we normally like to have, the David and Goliath one. You don't have that here. You have Goliath versus Goliath. You do, and and that's what I think is going to be – I think that's going to be fun. I think that's what makes this a little bit interesting, right, is that you've got two teams that have been dominant all year, two teams that can win, two teams that have excellent offenses, that have had defenses, in the case of the Eagles, that have been you know, almost historically dominant. Uh, and I think that makes for what should be a fun game. Is there a sense down there from people that you guys are talking to? So far, everybody we've interviewed about the game gives an edge to the Eagles, yeah. mm-hmm. but then they always quickly come back and say, well, don't count out Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. That's, I get that verbatim from everyone. Yeah, I like the Eagles. I, I see the Eagles edging the Chiefs, but you never can count out Andy Reid. And more in particular, they'll say Patrick Mahomes and what he represents, especially if the ankle's right. And from everything I've seen, Nathan looks like the ankle's right. It does look like the ankle's right there, and, and you haven't heard much about it. Uh, you got the Kelsey brothers storyline. Is that getting a lot of run down there? Oh, it certainly is. Their mom is a superstar. I mean, she, she can't go nowhere without being spotted and known for what she, I mean, again, that's something to be proud of. You have two sons that are in the Super Bowl, and more than likely two sons will be Hall of Famers. Probably in the case, certainly, of Travis' first ballot, and with Jason, I think that certainly is possible as well. You mentioned the Hall of Fame, Gerard. Well, today is the day that we will find out if the Hoff becomes the only the seventh tackle to ever be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, he would be joining some of the, the elites to ever play the position. Jackie Slater, Jim Parker, Forrest Greg, Walter Jones, Anthony Munoz, and Jonathan Ogden. I think he's going to get in. I think it's a foregone conclusion. We've been calling uh-huh. him the Hoff forever. Uh, but what's has there been any kind of talk about that? You guys obviously doing a show out of Cleveland talking about Joe Thomas, who's likely, in my mind, the headliner of this Hall of Fame class, perhaps along with another first ballot cornerback by the name of Darrell Rivas. Yeah, I can see that taking place as well. So I'm sharing a home right now, Nathan, with Tony Grossi. And he's been in a really good mood. So I'm going to read into that. <laughs> Maybe okay. I shouldn't do that. But he's one of the – People, along with Mary Kay, if I'm not mistaken, responsible for selling Joe to the rest of the voters on why he deserves the honor. And he hasn't seemed to be down in the dumps or negative by any stretch of imagination. So, again, I'm going to read into that because I was at dinner with him last night, and he seemed to be in a very good disposition as well. So I'm going to take that as the Hoff, as we like to call Joe, is in that bad boy, and deservingly so. And if you think about it from this standpoint – when you play for a team that loses the way in which he experienced it, Nathan, double the amount of games that he played, double the amount of practices that he practiced in, because you have no idea how bad your body in those scenarios just want to say the hell with this and quit and not be involved with it ever whatsoever. So to play at that high of a level in a situation where what was around him was not to his level is such an amazing feat. And a lot of times we don't put it in that context for people to understand. You always want to give it to the winners, and rightfully so, because we're in a meritocracy. But when you have to have that level of greatness on display and you're surrounded by futility, for lack of a better word, 
it's something to be said about what he did and what he accomplished. It's twice as hard is what I'm basically trying to say in a nutshell. It is. Well, Tony's probably happy. Maybe you guys are eating Italian food, and he's got golf courses all around him, so <laughs> he's probably feeling pretty good down there in Arizona. But, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I don't – it would be, to me, a travesty, I think, that there's no doubt that he gets in. Now, the NFL honors air tonight at 9 on NBC and the NFL Network. Nick Chubb up for the Art Rooney Sportsmanship Award, as well as the FedEx NFL Ground Player of the Year. Joel Batonio up for the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year. And then, as I said, we'll find out if Joe Thomas will officially be enshrined in Canton come August. And I believe that he will be. I mean, we've said it all along. We've called him the Hoff. We've said he's a first ballot lock six first-team All-Pros, 10 Pro Bowls in his first 10 seasons, and that puts him, just that one right there, puts him in pretty rarefied air. So the only other people who have ever done that, Merlin Olsen went 14 for 14 his first 14 seasons, Mel Renfro 10, Barry Sanders 10, Lawrence Taylor 10, now the Hoff is the fifth, the other four all in the Pro Bowl. So Mm -hmm. it feels to me pretty likely. And in fact, there are only three people who did that in their first nine seasons, which were Jim Brown, Franco Harris, and Derek Thomas. And you guessed it, they are also all in the Hall of Fame. So I think that is, it is a lock for the Hoff. Now, speaking of, you're in in a hotbed for the Super Bowl, but... The NBA trying to go into Phoenix and saying, not so fast, Super Bowl. There are other sports to talk about down here as Kevin Durant has been traded from the Nets to the Suns for Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, and four first-round picks in 23, 25, 27, and 29. The Nets then traded Crowder to the Bucks for five second-round picks, which is insane to me, according to the Athletic Shams Charania. Unblockbuster trade right there, Gerard. And I'd have to say the Suns now with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Ayton have to be they have to be the favorite to win the NBA title. (laughs) Certainly you can see that, but obviously they have to mesh and they have to make sure they're not just a collection of talented individuals. You hear me say that ad nauseum, but you do like their chances based on the talent question. And then on the side note, Sean Marks was at Cal when I was at Cal, and I got to yep. give Sean credit because Sean's like, you know what, Kyrie and KD, you're not going to end my tenure as a GM. Props to him for making a move and understanding the thing was falling apart, and now he's in a position, hopefully, to where he can help control the destiny of the Nets. But, yeah, you have to like what you see if you're a Suns fan and that you have KD coming to town because we know that he can elevate a team and put them in a position to win, and you would like to think, they were able to almost get that done without his talents. So what does that look like when yeah. Booker does come back and see Paul and all those four guys along with Aiton and KD on the court at the same time? I mean, it's it's probably not quite what the Warriors had with their big four, but That's it's not enough, far though. off. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not far enough. off. Because right. I think Aiton, Aiton's probably better than Draymond. Booker is probably better than Clay. Durant is Durant. And, and, then, right. and, and Steph is Steph. Steph. Better right. than, but right. Chris That's, is no slouch, right? No slouch, no. But I mean, it's probably there if because you take the Durant out of it, the Warriors had the best number one, but they probably have the best two and three in mm-hmm. Booker and Aiton, which is wild. I mean, it's just right. an unbelievable setup that they have put together uh, for the Phoenix Suns. So kudos to them. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, and, and then we also had another trade. The Lakers have finally traded Russ Westbrook to the Jazz in a three-way trade that also sent D'Angelo Russell back to the Lakers and Mike Conley to the Timberwolves. So NBA trade deadline heating up right there. Yeah, it certainly is. And 
I will not be surprised, Nathan, if the Cavs just stand still and do nothing because I think they like their roster and, what's com- and how it's comprised and that they're just going to yeah. let it play itself out and continue to jail. And I have no problem with that. Is there anybody that you would want to see them get? Is there like anything that's been talked about that you're like, oh, yeah, I'm into that? Well, I constantly hear, I heard this from Brian Winhurston. He doesn't give any particular names, but like if you can find a, a wing or three, some guy that could fill, hit threes, open threes, and sure. play D, where do you find that guy at? I don't know. We'll see yeah, if, exactly. they, if they can but find I don't think, that. I don't think they have the capital to do it, though. That's the problem. Uh, you, right. And Kevin Love's contract, that you could float that out there as, as trade bait. And I've heard Karis Levert's name floated as well, but I don't see those guys going anywhere. And, again, we don't have any draft picks. That all went to acquire Donovan, and I'm Donovan fine Mitchell. with yep. that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think we'll just stay is. put. All right, so there it is. That's setting the scene for you down in the Valley of the Sun. Gerard is there. Uh, it says Tony Grossi's in a good mood. I mean, I think that's got to be. <laughs> read into that, huh? Read it. It can't be a bad thing. It can't be a bad thing right there. Uh, at all. All right. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the Brown safety room from one year ago, what it looks like, what it could mean going forward, how things change there. Uh, and I think and a big decision. The Browns have a big decision to make in that safety room. We'll talk about all that when Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet returns. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. He's got the snap. Back to pass. Big time pressure coming. And they got him back at the 15-yard line. The pressure came left. It came right. And it was devastating. John Johnson, the third, blew in. Looks, fires middle. And that is picked off. Delpit's got it. Grant Delpit, a guy the Browns have tabbed to break out, gets the first turnover of the season. Takes the snap, drops to throw in the pocket, fires towards the end zone, and it's knocked away. Great play in there. Is getting in there is Delpit to belt the ball away. Yeah, you know, just staying locked in for 60 minutes and just having that, you know, killing mentality. Want to be a top five number one defense, so we got to stick together and play four quarters. Play action, fake throws, middle, caught up to the 40, and he fumbled the ball. The Browns are on it. Are they going to give it to them? Yes, they are. Recovered by John Johnson. I think, you know, bringing safeties out there, especially like our skill types, um, I think we can do pretty much anything. Like Ronnie and Grant, they play nickel. You know, they play dime. They play whatever you ask them to do. So I think us three on the field, whatever the offense gives us, I think we can we can stand up and play any type of defense. He throws down the field deep, and it is incomplete, and it's deflected up in the air. John Johnson the third ends up with it. John Johnson the third picked it off and amazingly got his feet down. Delpit, 22. He had a good year. Over 100 tackles, four interceptions, a lot of TFLs. Um, just doing his job at a high level, so I'll give it to him. He's got the snap back inside his five-yard line, steps and throws down the middle of the field, and it is picked off. Grant Delpit's got it. Takes the snap on first down in the pocket. He's going to go long and deep. They're back there in the end zone, and it is picked off by Grant Delpit. He's got it. It's a touchback in the end zone. Delpit's second of the day. A career-high four interceptions for Delpit. His second of the day, his third in the last two games. This Browns defense and Grant Delpit, what a performance here in his second year. 
All right, that is a little bit of a listen to some of the highlights from the Browns' safety room right there. And really, it was Grant Delpit was the one that stood out this year. Grant Delpit, 105 tackles, a career high. That led the Cleveland Browns. Four interceptions, a career high. That led the Cleveland Browns. Ten passes defensed. That was third on the Browns behind only Denzel Ward and MJ Emerson. He was out there all season and I think showed a lot of fortitude. There were some tough things early on. He did have that interception week one against Carolina, but you know, some coverage issues, communication issues. In times, it felt like things were being blamed on him that were actually not his fault, and I thought he handled that well with a lot of class, and I thought he showed, Gerard, especially over the second half of the year, he really started to blossom. I thought his performance against Washington was elite, where you feel like, okay, Grant Delpit can be a guy that it becomes a star in this league as one of the safeties, and, and star safeties are very, very valuable in the National Football League. Oh, they certainly are. And early on, as you mentioned, Nathan, with the start of the season, getting the interception in a pivotal moment, and we're all thinking it's about to take off. The promise is going to be shown. And then went through some adversity, blamed for some things, as you described, that weren't necessarily his fault. But there were some things through the course of the season in the middle part that was his fault and that he needed yep. to adjust and address. And guess what he did? Just that. And that last quarter of the season, and I always say this, they remember what you did the last quarter of the season. And Grant was 17 games. It's hard to put out a quarter, but you get my point in that he played elite, flat-out elite, making plays in the box, making plays in the passing game, getting interceptions. And I don't mean just like you're running the middle, the quarterback's throwing up the ball in the air and you just bring it down. But I'm talking about two feet in, back of the end zone, receiver caliber type of interceptions. So he showed you that he's a playmaker, so I'm excited for him, Nathan. And the key to it all is hopefully for him is that he continues to be a student of the game and apply himself and not rest on the fact that he had a last good quarter ending of the season, but says, you know what, this can be how I play on a regular basis consistently throughout the course of the season. Because what I did see was that there would be moments in the game where you'd have a play, then there would be a mistake. Then you have a play, then a mistake. But at the end, though, to his credit, it became consistently making plays. It did, and that's exactly what, to your point, that's what he did. He had those in that last quarter of the season. I'm pulling up right now because I think that's a good thing to look at. And, and while it is not everything, right, it's something that if you're the Browns, you can go ahead and, and kind of try to build on as the season goes on how you looked at that safety position and, and how Grant Delpit was able to perform for you down the stretch. And that's, as you pointed out, he really kind of turned it on and became one of the, the better safeties in the league in that kind of stretch run, if you look at the way that he finished his pro football focus grades, you know, week 17 was a 92, week 15 uh, was a 72, and, and that's where he really started to kind of get things going. And so for the Browns, that's what you're hoping, you know, that's what you're hoping he's going to be able to do going forward, to carry on that strong play that showed him to be one of the top, you know, safeties in the National Football League. And, and if he can do that, all right, now we're, now we're really cooking with some gas, I think. Yeah, certainly, and and really what it boils down to, what we saw a lot with our defense this year, is simply communicating and doing your job and understanding where you fit and where the other guy fits and and making sure that you vibe and respond as a team and not, again, just relying on your individual talent but saying, how do I fit in this situation? What's my gap responsibility? What's your gap responsibility? And doing your job, and I felt that once he started doing those things, and we weren't looking on the football field with him looking at someone else and pointing fingers at each other, that we were in a good state. And at the end of the, in the second half of the season, you didn't see much of that from his standpoint taking place. No, and not only that, over that final quarter of the season, 
not only did he play well, so did John Johnson. John Johnson, uh, for the final couple of games there, was one of the top safeties at Pro Football Focus, along with Grant, and, and that's what you want to see them build on. John Johnson this year, 101 tackles, second on the team, two forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, half a sack and interception, four passes defensed. Uh, but the Browns have a decision on John Johnson. Uh, if they, 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 mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead, Dre. No, they, they certainly do, but the one thing I'll say, because he primarily plays free safety, I want those numbers down, Nathan. <laughs> you don't want those numbers in the hundreds because that's a sign that you were getting ran through. And we're and it's no secret our run defense was not the best, but to his credit, he was making tackles. But you want to see him in the seventies range, not in the hundreds, because when you have both your safeties in the one and one and two in tackles, that lets me know yep. that the linebackers were not doing their job, and they were hurt. I mean, we yeah, we, that too. we went through our top four linebackers played less than forty percent. Uh, of the games this year for the Cleveland Browns, which is a tough, tough place to be in, obviously, if you are the Browns. Uh, All right, we talked John Johnson, and here's the decision they have to make. He's in the last Mm -hmm. year of the contract they signed him to. Uh, He has been very, very good for the Browns at times. Other times been some inconsistency. He's been kind of miscast, as you mentioned, free safety. In L.A., he was much more close to the line of scrimmage, in Mm -hmm. the slot, in the box, near the football. That's what Grant also does well. And the Browns at the end kind of switch Grant to more of a free safety. And you just wonder, you know, how does Jim Schwartz view this? Does Jim Schwartz want to get Grant Delpit in the box and pair him with a true center field safety? And if he's able to do that, what does that mean for John Johnson, who has been a leader on this team, a leader on the defense? He's been, you know, obviously to a Super Bowl with the Rams. Um, but the Browns would save $9.75 million if they cut him after June 1st with a, a June, post-June 1st designation. So is that something they're considering? We that's what we have to look at. The only other safety on the roster, DeAnthony Belt, the un, the undrafted free agent who made the team last year, mm-hmm. who had 12 tackles, solo tackles in 16 games reserve list is Bubba Bolden. Ronnie Harrison likely will not be back. He, mm-hmm. he kind of I don't know what happened to Ronnie. He was so good in 2020, and then the last two years is just it, it hasn't been at that level. But you know, Grant is back. John Johnson is back. Could that change? Possibly. But this is another room that's going to need a little bit of an infusion of talent or just a veteran or somebody who's got some versatility to be that third or fourth safety uh, with Jim Schwartz. Yeah, you you certainly need that element in there. And, yes, it's going to be a hard decision to make because you hear $9 million. And, again, with $9 million, you want a certain level of production. Now, the tackles are there, but – from experience, I know that you're not going to weigh tackles on the same level as you're going to weigh in passes defended, interceptions, sacks, and things, tackles for loss. Those things factor in for you to make that type of a money. And is the potential there for John to do those things? Yes, yep. they are. And at the same time, were there ways in which John can leave doubt into the decision for the Browns? Of course he can because there were certain situations where I was like, John, you're you're a veteran. You're not making yep. – you don't make that play. You don't make that decision, especially if you're the guy responsible for calling the calls out of the huddle. But then there exactly. are times we're like, John, that is an excellent play. That was an yep. excellent decision. So it calls, comes right back again to this idea of consistency. Yep. Really is what it boils down to. And have they seen enough to trust that he can be consistent? Because if he's consistent, Nathan, and playing the way that he's capable of playing, then I have no problem with that salary. Agreed. Agreed. It's a, it's a good point you make. Just to point out, over the final uh, four games of the season, Grant Delpit was the number six safety at Pro Football Focus, number sixth in coverage as well. Uh, John Johnson was 13th overall, 
and in coverage, John Johnson was 10th. So they finished the season strong. We need to see more, though, going forward. Uh, give me one word to describe the Browns' safeties this past season, Jerron. Inconsistent. I'll just call for what it's worth. It'd be times like, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, fired up. And this across the board. It wasn't just John. It wasn't just Delpit. But you also bring Ronnie into the, into the equation and what that represented. And unfortunately, a lot of times it was just inconsistent play. Where Where's the communication going on between you and the cornerbacks? Why are we still having blown coverages in year three yep. of a defense? And that's hard to explain and ascertain and then accept. So that played a part in it. And then from a run-fit standpoint, what are we doing? Why are we not lined up in the right places? Because ultimately, Nathan, that is the job of the safety, to be that quarterback in the secondary to make sure guys are doing the right things from a run-fit standpoint, even if it's the linebackers. And obviously, from a pass coverage standpoint, you have to be on the same page in communicating that. So ultimately, I would say inconsistent because there are times where it's like, this is beautiful. This is what I'm talking about. This is encouraging. This can be dominating and yep. domineering. And then there are times like, what in the hell are we doing? Yeah, I would said promising but also frustrating because I think you saw that Grant Delpit could be a star in this mm -hmm. league. And we've seen it over the second half of the season in each of the last two years. You just need to see it for a full season, then you can get really excited. And same with John, more consistency. I think your word right. was was right on the money. Uh, what's your level of importance this offseason for this position to be – improved uh, well I think you have the guys on the roster to do it I think Bell could yeah. even play a part in that as well from the, the stuff that we that we saw with him but he also had his opportunities and in those opportunities I paid close attention to him because I liked him coming out of training camp yep. he also made several mistakes that doesn't help his cause as far yep. as making the right decisions in open space so he has to work on that but I do think you have the ability and the talent within these guys to get there now it becomes a matter of coaches getting it out of them and making sure that they stay consistent with it. And that is the key. And the thing about it is so interesting to me, Nathan, is that I know they got good coaches. <laughs> that's yep. the part that's like, you got good coaches. So what are you not doing? Or what do you need to do from a paying a price standpoint, from a commitment standpoint to get to that place to where you are playing on a consistent level? Yeah, to get it right so that you can yeah, get the job done. All right, when we come back, we're going to take a look at some of the fun props. We'll have Gibbe MC, some of the Super Bowl 57 props guides, odds picks for more than 400 Chiefs and Eagles props from Sportsline. So that'll be a lot of fun. We'll take a look at that when we return here on Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. There's a new way to cheer on your Cleveland Browns with the help of your favorite four-legged companion, Barking Backers, presented by Milkbone as the Browns' newest club for pet parents worldwide. Sign up today at BarkingBackers.com. Barking Backers, the fan club for dogs. And Gibbe... We love to get into this. Props, props, and more props. We got props for days here on this game. So come on in. Let's talk some props, and let's try to help some people out, you know, pay attention to the scores. Now, props are sometimes easier, sometimes harder. You never know, but they're always fun. They are always fun, and uh, we, we've got some good ones. Connor found 400 of them. I love it. Props won us a free dinner that wasn't free. Oh. Yeah, boy, did it. Simone and his shenanigans. <laughs> and he's a raven now. <laughs> All right. 
these are some uh, game-related ones before we get into some okay. of the miscellaneous. Passing touchdowns. Jalen Hurts over-under is one and a half. Mahomes over-under two and a half. Uh, Gerard, what say you if you had to prognosticate? Oh, I'm going to go with over one and a half for Hurts. He'll get two in, and I'll go two and a half for Mahomes. He'll get three in. All right, so Vegas clearly thinks that Mahomes will be under th- two and a half. That's minus 224 to take that, which means you're laying out $224 to win 100. They think that over is a long shot, the biggest long shot, plus 159. They think Hertz is pretty well spread, so you're laying odds on both sides of the Hertz one. Uh, if I was to do this, I would probably go the under on Hertz and then the over on Mahomes just for fun because the Eagles are just so effective at running the ball in. But I just would take it for the the odds on Mahomes to go under two and a half are just not worth the juice doesn't it's not worth it it's too the juice is too big too much. I mean this this makes it sound like it could be a, a little lower scoring. See what I'd be more curious with is to find what what they think like what the MVP and I don't know if that's in here. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. okay. we'll get to it because I think those are the better odds, right? If you were going to say that, look, I think Mahomes is the MVP. Or if you think Hertz is the MVP, I'm curious to see what those odds are relative to to messing with these. Now, plus 159, that's basically, that's one to remember. Because if he's the MVP, it's likely he's going to throw, I would think, for more than two and a half touchdowns. Mm -hmm. So if you get better odds on that versus the MVP, then maybe I would go there as like an MVP bet on Mahomes. All right. Some more prop bet. Fun Miles Sanders over under 59 and a half rushing yards. Oh, I like that. I like that Ooh. over. He, he, we were talking about it yesterday, Gerard. Miles Sanders almost rushed for 1,300 yards and 11 touchdowns at five yards a carry, and nobody no talks about, talks about no it. No one. <laughs> no At one. all. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I do, there. too. I like Pacheco as well, just to throw that out there. I like Pacheco over 49 and a half. I think that they could try to run the game, and that gives you a little bit of a hedge on, on the home stuff. Like Pacheco over 11 and a half carries, I like that a lot too. So again, some more of the prop bets in the receiving yards. And I yeah. bring up the two wide receivers because we went through some of their numbers yesterday, which were mighty impressive considering, yep. uh, you know, the Eagles were the best run team in the National Football League. A.J. Brown over under was 71 and a half receiving yards. Devontae Smith, 61 and a half over under on receiving yards. Gerard, how are you feeling about that? See, I anticipate it should be a, a defensive battle, but I got a feeling that the offense is going to end up at some point taking over this game. So I'm going to say I'm over on everything in regards to receiving yards. So I like the overs. You like that? I think Devontae Smith at 61, I like. A.J. Brown, th- those are fine, but what I'm more interested in is below that, you can go for who has the most receiving yards. Mm-hmm. I think Ju- uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, First of all, over 35 and a half, I like that, but plus 600 to do that, and then Devontae Smith plus 500 to be the leading receiver, or Goddard at 1,200. I like those odds. Where's I think Kelsey that could be at? Plus 300. So good value on him, but he's the, he's the top favorite, and he has the highest total, so they think that he will be uh, the leader, which that's not a bad bet either. I, for example, I would not put anything on Kelsey over or under 77 and a half where you're laying odds. I'd say, okay, I think he's got the most in the game at plus 300. That's a nice little swing at the plate. Reception-wise, here are some of the prop bets. Devonta Smith, 
over under four and a half receptions mm. in the Super Bowl. He's been a catching machine here in 2022-23. Travis Kelsey's over under was six and a half. Hmm. Any thoughts? Those are tough. A.J. Brown is only one catch more than Devontae Smith and was 10 yards more. Can't yeah, these ones are tough. Where though they try to get real aggressive with Brown and just put them in a situation where it's like, you got to pass, you got to pass, and there's going to blitz, 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 and get after Mahomes. That's that's at least that's the scenario I see playing itself out. Yeah. If they're ultra aggressive on the offensive side to get a lead, and obviously going to have to maintain and keep and stay aggressive. I mean, does the part of you guys think that, like, Valdez Scantling is coming off of a game where he had over 100 yards? I know they had all those injuries and Juju's going to be back, but I feel like he developed some kind of a rapport with Mahomes in, in that game, in a critical game where maybe he does something. I also like uh, I like the uh, like Quez Watkins over one and a half. I mean, maybe they work him in here. I don't know. These are they're fun. They're tough. There's so many of these that you could get lost, in, which is what's so great. Yeah, it's great. Of these little ditties. Yeah. All right, uh, Chiefs Eagles MVP odds. Yeah, that's what I want. Let's go to that. I think that's three pages past where we were at. Your favorites are Hertz at plus 125, Mahomes plus 130. All right, so you get a little bit better value on Mahomes over two and a half touchdowns, but the value for Hertz is 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 that. there. I don't see many scenarios in which the Eagles win the Super Bowl and he is not the MVP, right. so that's a way to get their money line in a more efficient fashion for you. Where is Sanders at in this conversation? Plus 2,500. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> Give it to a running back. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't even know the last time that he's not Marshawn Lynch. Right. Right. Who do you think scores the first touchdown? By the way, first TD scorer in the game. Oh man. Uh, hmm. I'm gonna go with Sanders. You could do a couple and, people and here. That, that is. Uh, there is some decent value. You could though. do Sanders at six twenty-five. Kelsey at five fifty. Goddard at eight fifty, Hertz at six hundred, and if one of those hits, if you did a hundred on each of them, you're gonna you're gonna make money. But if they don't, obviously, then you lose. But yeah, that's fun. I like that. Uh, let's see. As I go through these, fantastic. Hold on, I don't get this. Hold on a second. Yeah. Jersey number of first touchdown score over eleven point five or under eleven point five. So that one. Oh, they're thinking it's going to be under. So who is under A.J. Brown's 11, right? And Jalen Hurts' single digits. Pacheco is 10. McKinnon is, is under. Schuster's 9. Interesting. That's a, that's a fun one. That's actually a pretty cool one. All right. Uh, game props. Yes. As we fast forward, mm -hmm. the coin toss. If you had to go one way or the other, which way would you go? Tails. Always, never fails. Nah, I disagree. Uh. Uh, opening kickoff touchback. Yes, <laughs> minus 155. No, plus 125. Go yes. with the no. <laughs> I mean, why not? Yeah, that He's would be, be a, so that's nervous. A, that's a crazy <laughs> one to just bet on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
first play from scrimmage results in a first down. Yes plus 300, no minus 400. Well, I would definitely oh. take the yes. That's a fun one, and you hope that you got to just hope that they yeah break a tackle. I'd imagine it's going to either be a run or a conservative, easy rhythm pass. I, that's what I feel like exactly. teams in the first quarter right. are just trying to get into a rhythm and feel right. each other out. They're throwing yeah. jabs. Start firing haymakers. Yeah. yeah, they're throwing jabs. Uh, what happens first, touchdown or a sack? Ooh, I like that. I I like stuff sack. like this is crazy. You sack. say sack? I say sack. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I, I like that too. That's where the odds would say, yeah, as well. First score of the game, touchdown or a field goal slash safety? I'm going to take a field goal. Field goal. <laughs> yeah, that goes back to the whole. It's so funny, though. This is like, this is where you can find value because there are certain things that nobody can know. No. Like the like right here, the first Eagles drive outcome, the first Chiefs drive outcome. It's on the same page. What's it for punt? Is that like the punt what's given? Is for the Chiefs is, is the minus one eighteen, minus one oh five for the Eagles. So by the way, if you really think that there's a chance that a field goal is gonna be the first score of the game, you just wanna take the result of both the Eagles first drive and the Chiefs first drive at plus or you can just do the first drive of the game, plus 450 that it's a field goal attempt. And they don't even have to make it. So that's like a better way to do it than the first score. But it only limits you to one drive. Or you could do it on both of their first drives and say that there's going to be points on one of the first two drives. On to some late game props. I like this one. The team with the last possession of the game, Eagles or Chiefs. Mm. Both are minus 110. Well, yeah, because that's... How could he even know? <laughs> Who do we think, boys? Eagles kneeling down for the victory. Woo! I just it, – it's – this reminds me a little bit, though, Gerard, of, like, last week when everybody was saying, oh, yeah, the Bengals are going to beat them. And I was like – I was the only person, I think, that took the Chiefs. Uh-huh. I'm like, they're the Chiefs. We're just acting like they're just a bunch of jabronis. <laughs> true. And they true, went true, out true. and won. Yeah. In a convincing fashion. Yeah. This is an interesting one. Lead change in the final minute of the fourth quarter. Oh, boy. Yes, plus 700. No, minus 1,100. I mean, it's – there's no – betting on the no is insanity because you're just laying out too much money. That's a fun one to hope for a good game to just put, like, a, you know, a shekel on and, and see a what shekel. happens. <laughs> or yeah. it's... That's right. We're not encouraging anything. Last play of the game, quarterback rush, yes or no. So that's saying – the winning team has the ball last, which they might not. Yeah. Uh, kicking props. I thought I thought this one was interesting. The total missed field goals and extra points over under is one and a half. Wow. I want to go to under on that. These dudes are in there yeah. for a reason. You don't get there. Agreed. I like this though, where you can go to field goals made exact. Zero plus two thousand, one plus six fifty, two plus three sixty, three plus two fifty, four plus three hundred. So they think three and four are the most likely outcomes in terms of field goals made in this game. If you get to five plus four seventy five, six plus twelve hundred, that's a that's a fun one. These are crazy. Like it's amazing that they're. I, I don't even know how they keep track of all stuff. The way that they limit their exposure is that they put caps on what typically can be mm -hmm. wagered on these things, so that you couldn't 
find something, you know, and, and go nuts on it. All right. I'm fast-forwarding ahead here. This is great. The, uh, this is – Connor, shout-out to you, buddy. I mean, it, he's, this is the most complete one of these I think we've ever had. Uh, halftime prop. Yeah. Total uh, over-under, 24-and-a-half combined for the two teams at halftime. Ooh. Contain your excitement, Zagor. That's a that's a what I think is crazy. Look at the halftime line. They think that obviously they think the Chiefs are going to be ahead and then lose the game. Like 14-10 type of hit. Yeah, the Chiefs are it says plus a half is minus 125. Eagles minus half is plus 105. So they think the Chiefs are either going to be tied or ahead at the half. Which is wild, even though the money line is opposite. There's a little value in there on the Eagles being up one. Because why would you this makes no sense to me. You could have the Eagles minus a half at plus 105, or you have the Eagles minus to be winning, which is by one, at minus 120. So why wouldn't you use the halftime spread and you get better value on the Eagles? That doesn't make any sense. Final score, 27-24. I feel it. 27-24. Wow. Those are fun ones, and you can do things like that. You can go exact <laughs> scores. You played in Philly, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Were you with Joe Banner? Uh, yep, he was there. Uh, entertainment Enormous props. Camps. National Anthem. At, and I'm jumping ahead because I do have a question I want to ask both of you. All right, here we go. Yep. National Anthem length. Over 125 seconds. Under 125 seconds. <laughs> oh, Who's man. singing it? So that is 205. I think, is it Chris Stapleton? It is right. Chris Stapleton. I'll go with the Thank over because that dude can sing, so he's going to add some riffs to it. <laughs> Maybe at the end when he <laughs> he'll do the Whitney I, Houston brave light, all that type of stuff. Oh man, <laughs> I, I, I think I think we're going. I I would take the under here. I would too. Really? I think he's going to be efficient. I, I think so. He's be efficient. Ah man, I think he's going to no sing, frills. sing, man. The no dude frills. can sing. He can. He, he can it's going to be an over, guys. Sing. He is. He's long winded. Over all day long. I'm telling you, this dude can sing, sing. I mean, granted, he strikes me as a guy who has respect for the flag, and I'm saying if you embellish the anthem that you don't. But I think he's going to do it. I think Slick is right. I think he's going to do it. All right. I want to get. I want to have a little bit of a discussion here real quick before we say goodbye to Gerard. Okay. On Roger Goodell yesterday. Oh, good. On the state of today's officiating. I don't think it's ever been better. Gerard, <laughs> what say you to that? What do I say to this idea that I don't think it's been better? Well, having the perspective on the sideline and seeing some things that I saw that were just egregious bad calls, I can't agree with that. <laughs> I saw some stuff. I'm like, how are you calling that? And as a matter of fact, why are you calling that? You're literally on the other side of the football field making a, throwing a flag that something you shouldn't even be involved in. So I can't agree with that. Sorry. I don't agree with it either. I don't think it's even remotely in the possibility that it is. Why can't they just put the eye in the sky in? What is the what is the issue with this? Ah, Why can't they the just have the camera above? Like, it's that simple to fix this. It's, it's crazy. The other thing I wanted to bring up, and I know it's in around the league at 215, but Gerard won't be here, yeah, is yeah. what is the NFLPA doing trying to – get rid of the NFL combine 
How dare you get rid of the NFL I can combine? Tell you why? It costs what are they trying to do? Five million dollars get rid of it. What are they trying to do? Hand me the paperwork. There. Well, what they're trying to do is say that it degrades and dehumanizes you, and it's too, without saying it, too close to a, an auction, if you will, far as what it represents. Is what they're trying to say. So, what is their proposal? Nothing. What's their pro- they well, no, they want to do like NFLPA regional combines. They think it's ridiculous that not everybody can get into the combine. Mm-hmm. Um, the one quote from Demore, uh, Demora Smith: Would you want your son to spend hours inside of an MRI machine and then be evaluated by thirty-two separate team doctors, who are, by the way, only doing it for one reason: the reason to decrease your draft value? Mm-hmm. Like this was a this was a big thing at the NFLPA meeting last. The reason night. is not to decrease their draft value. The reason is to protect their organization from acquiring a damaged asset right but as a player you won't see it in that light of course not but i mean that's look i i get it's the underwear olympics but it and there are some i i feel like the nfl has gotten better in getting rid of the some of the stupid questions and the the schedule questions that are not Mm -hmm. right that get asked to prospects yeah but i still think there's a value to having the nfl combine and how dare you try to take away my experience in Indy one week out of the year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trying to go to St. Elmo's, huh? Agreed. Oh, Got so to. many more options. Elmo's is great, though. It is great. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm just <laughs> saying there's plenty of options. There's tons of good food there. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right, Tarad, we'll have fun in Arizona, man. So your final is you got the Eagles 27-24? That's right. I'm, I'm sticking All with right. that. What's fly. coming up on the next level Eagles today at 3 fly. o'clock after we get done? Uh, what's coming up on the next level is that we will talk some basketball with what's going on with the trade deadline and see what the Cavs are going to do. And then from there, we'll talk some more football like you guys have done just with me in regards to prop bets, parlays, and all things of that nature. And just generally what's going on out here, man. So it's going to be an exciting and fun show. Looking forward to it. Dude, go lay in the pool for an hour. Yeah, go enjoy yourself. I know. <laughs> I saw your house. I know what's going on there. It's a nice place, yeah. man. Nice. Not yeah, kind of looks like it. Yeah, it's Paradise Valley for a reason, my friends. All right, Gerard, be well. Thanks for joining us today. All right, take care, guys. All right, when we come back, Browns defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz joins the show live in studio. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Welcome back to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio, you are listening to WKNR Cleveland, ESPN Cleveland 850 here, and we are joined in studio live by the new defensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns, Jim Schwartz. Coach, 
Welcome to the studio. Welcome back to Cleveland. Uh, great to talk with you today. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, and it's great to be back in Northeast Ohio. Um, I've sort of taken a little um, trip around the Great Lakes, you know, Cleveland yeah. to Detroit to Buffalo. Um, so we've gone full circle. You have, and, and you, you know, crushed your opening press conference. That was, uh, people talk about winning the press conference. Fans are always very pleased, and one of the reasons is that connection you have to this city and what you had said about it. Now that you've been well, let, let, let's try not to let that be my legacy. Not going to be your legacy. Okay. No, yeah. no. Let's, let's try to let's try to win some games. Let's play some good defense and not worry about press conferences as much. I like that. How have how is it like? Is it surreal for you now to be that you've had a few weeks back to be back in Cleveland, where it all started for you? You know, in the press conference, you're probably going through everything, but now that you've actually been here and you're working back in Cleveland, is it is it kind of surreal? Yeah, a little bit. You know, you you fall back into the same um, the same routines. Um, the buildings changed a lot, but um, there's still a lot of ghosts here that um, you know <laughs> that have been walking here for the last you know 30 years. And um, you know, just getting used to the trains again, getting used to the you know to the the cloudy and rain. And <laughs> and I tell you one thing, it does. It, may, it makes you appreciate the sun when it does come out. You know, and um, so, yeah, falling back in, I mean, I haven't really gone past the airport and the office, Um, you know, been trying to catch up on a lot of things and, um, you know, get ourselves get ourselves in position, not just catching up on, you know, watching last year and, you know, what was asked of the players and how they did it and try to incorporate new things and, you know, incorporating a staff but also trying to get ready for free agency in the draft. I mean, there's a lot of hats to wear this time of year. And, um, you know, that clock's ticking. So, um, you know, my, my scope has been limited to, like I said, the facility in the airport, and that's about it. So walk us through a, a day in the life of Jim Schwartz, as you mentioned. I imagine there's some evaluating the current roster, evaluating people that you like to bring in, whether it be free agents or in the draft. What's, what's kind of the day like for you right now? Well, I mean, it, it's really not people that I would like to bring in. It's players that Andrew and Kevin would like to bring in. And my perspective is how they would fit and what they're going to be asked to do. Um, You know, it's, it's not, it's not my job to, you know, to to decide who's coming. It's more my job to give them perspective on how they're going to be used and what would be asked of them and, and how valuable they would be in the defense. So, you know, yeah, we, we sort of split our day. You know, we spend about half the day working on schemes. And, and really, at, at this point of the process, it's more, you know, watching, um, you know, watching last year's games and letting the current coaches talk. And so I can I can get a feel for them as coaches, but also I can get a feel for what was asked of the players and, you know, how they, how they did it and terminology that was used. And, you know, some things pique your interest, and it's like, hey, that's an interesting way to do something. Man, I want to um, hold on to that. And there's other things like, man, I think there's a better way to do this. Um, you know, and then we spend sometimes looking at, um, you know, Philadelphia or Buffalo sure. or Detroit. I mean, we've gone Tennessee. We've gone, you know, a lot of different places with saying, hey, look, we, we ran this this way. Here's an example of it. I think this can be helpful for us, and this can help this certain player. And then we've even started looking at um, other teams around the league and things that they do well. And everybody does the same thing this time of year. It's, you know, hey, let's see what makes this team tick. And, you know, let's see how they how they um, handled this situation or they used employed this personnel group or this scheme and how we can make that our own. So that's pretty much half the day. And then the other half is, you know, is built in to try and to, 
um, you know, provide some perspective and some evaluation on free agents and, you know, the combine's coming up soon, sure. trying to get, um, you know, trying to get our feet under us there. And, um, you know, uh, all along with, um, you know, house hunting and, um, you know, um, trying to uh, trying to get a little exercise and trying to find something to eat every once in a while. So that's that's pretty much a day for me. That sounds like a very full day. And you mentioned, you know, the other stops. You've been in Tennessee. You've been with the, the Detroit Lions, the Buffalo Bills, the Eagles, head coach obviously in Detroit. But one thing I noticed everywhere you've been, you've sent defensive tackles to the Pro Bowl with Hainsworth with Tennessee, a first-round pick, 15th overall, and Dominic and Sue, who you drafted uh, in Detroit with your team there, first-round pick, second overall. He's still playing, by the way, with Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Marcel Darius, who was the third overall pick in Buffalo, and then Fletcher Cox, who's still playing in the Super Bowl with Philly also a first-round pick. Well, you better mention Kyle Williams in there. Kyle too. Williams Kyle was Williams phenomenal in Buffalo, Buffalo as well. One yeah. of the best players I've been around. You know, our, our scheme is very friendly for defensive linemen. Okay. Um, you know, why is that? Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna slow him down with a bunch of um, with a bunch of stuff. We're gonna ask him to go create some havoc and to go. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll watch my language here. We're gonna ask him to go mess some stuff up. Yep. And that's their job. Their job is to mess some stuff up. It's the linebacker's job to go clean that mess up. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of attack on waves. You know, the, the, those guys, as long as they're getting penetration and, and creating disruption, the guys off behind them can play. And it's a lot like covering kickoffs where you have your disruptors and your penetrators and then your second-level guys that fall in behind. But we put a lot of emphasis on allowing those guys um, – freedom to to um to win on their side of the block we allow them a lot of freedom to rush the passer particularly on early downs um there's different ways that we have to cover that behind but you know this league is about putting pressure on the passer it's about creating lost yardage plays and um you know and winning on third down and if you want to win on third down create some lost yardage plays on first and second down. Um, I don't know if it was my last year in Philly, one of those years we led the NFL in, in tackles for losses and first and second down sacks. And, um, you know, th- that'll set you up for third down. Plus, there's, there's a high incident of turnover when you're hitting the quarterback and things like that. we got some good guys that do it here, and um, I think we can help them out by, um, by lessening their load, um, limiting their scope a little bit more, let them be disruptive. And um, I think we'll see the results we, we have. There's, there's probably going to be a line of defensive tackles with their resumes in hand um, hanging out here um, in Berea. Trying to um, come and play for you. Yeah, yeah I mean, and, and again, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, hasn't been, it hasn't just been good fortune that we've had those kind of players. You know, we've, we've run a scheme that's friendly to those guys, allows them to make plays. Some people have schemes where – it's the defensive line's job to, um, you know, play at the line of scrimmage and to keep the linebackers free so that they can make plays. We sort of take the opposite approach and uh, and take the handcuffs off those guys. We'll get those guys playing without a seatbelt, and um, you know, and 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 um, you know, sort of sort of playing on the edge, and that's where we want them. How important is it to what you want to do to have somebody? We talked about those guys all picked in the top half of the first round. You also mentioned Kyle Williams, who was phenomenal in 2014. I remember when we went into Buffalo and 
Jerry Hughes had, I think, a fumble recovery for a touchdown. You guys yeah. knocked John football on his Yeah, he was playing dead. He was playing dead on the yeah. field. Yeah. Yes. yeah, he came in, he drove down the field, and then I was like, you know, the game was sort of out of hand at that point. I was like, okay, I'm not yeah, No more of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and he yeah. certainly <laughs> did put him on his back. But yeah. how important is it, you know, we don't have a first-round defensive tackle in terms of pure talent on this roster right now. How important to what you want to do is it to, you know, get with Andrew Barry and you guys work together in Philly and say, no, this is something that's critical to what I do because it allows me to free up Miles and the guys on the outside to do yeah, what they do. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously you have a player like Miles, but some of the best players that have played for us in the past haven't been first round draft picks. Um, you know, and, and, you know, so I, I don't think it, it has to be, it has to be, you know, that. Yep. Um, you know, I've had guys that have been seconds and thirds and fourths and, you know, even undrafted free agents that have been very productive, um, you know, in this. And there's, there's certain skill sets that we look for and, and, um, you know, a little bit of play style that maybe other people might not appreciate as much. They might use the person a little bit different. And, um, you know, and I think that, you know, sort of involved in that scheme is we can get guys we can get guys going pretty quickly and um you know and get them successful on the field so players come from a lot of different uh, areas and first round draft picks get a lot of attention obviously because you know they're the they're the attention grabbers but you know the meat and potatoes of this league are, are not the first rounders sure. and uh, and our ability as coaches is um is or our hallmark as coaches is not going to be coaching the first rounders. I mean, you want to do that. You want those guys to do well. But our hallmark as coaches is going to be finding productive players later on down the line. So I look forward to working with those guys and, you know, sort of talking with our scouts and explaining how we're going to use guys and maybe guys that in the past might have been overlooked because they couldn't do a certain thing. But, you know, they might fit our play style. And, um, you know, I think that um, we all work together. We can find some productive players regardless of first round or high price free agent or anything else. So when people talk about, you know, Jim Schwartz defense, you hear a lot of wide nine. For our listeners, what does that mean? Yeah, I haven't called it the wide nine for years. Um, you know, we were, we were when I was in Tennessee with uh, Jim Washburn, who I think is one of the, the best D-line coaches in the history of the National Football League. We sort of we, we, we came into the playing the nine technique more as an adjustment based on who we were playing. We were playing the Colts every year and playing Houston, and they were running wide zone, and yep. Peyton was running all those play actions. And, and um, you know, we, it sort of fit for us. We had Hainsworth inside, and we wanted to funnel the ball back to him. Um, you know, our names have changed over the years. I like to call it an attack defense. Okay. We're not a read team up front. We're an attack team. Um, we're, we're going to be disruptive. We're hitting spots. It's probably not as wide as it used to be, um, but it's, um, it's pretty, pretty simple in theory, um, and it allows the players to you know, play fast and puts them in the best position to rush the quarterback and sort of play the run in between. We've also been very good run teams over the years. You've been great. You know, from, from, a, from a front that I think if a um, you know a casual observer would look, they're saying you know hey this front is built to rush the passer and check. Yes, it is, but um, also the disruption it creates and the way we play the linebackers and the second level players um, can make it very disruptive for the run game and it takes certain run games away. We're generally pretty good at at matching up against some run schemes. So you went to Philly. 
you turn it around quickly there, the defense. You win a Super Bowl in your second year there. What's kind of the key to coming into a place and, and getting it turned around like that? Is it a collaboration with the general manager, as you talked about? In that case, would have been Howie Roseman trying to figure out this is, you know, these are the traits I'm looking for. This is the style I want to play, getting that together and then coaching those guys up and, and letting them, as you said, be disruptive. Yeah, I mean, communication is the key. You know, and um, I had really good relationship with Howie, and he's an outstanding GM, and he valued defensive linemen the same way that I did. Not just when I was there, but even before. Sure. You know, he 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 always he had his envision, and probably one of the reasons I got hired there was the 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 way he was building the defense really fit into sort of my style and how the players were going to be used and he knew if he spent money slash drafted players that it wouldn't be wouldn't be wasted money um you know i think probably the biggest thing you know we're, we're just going to find ways to streamline communication we're going to find um, things that fit our personnel the best and what we might try to get to long term might not be exactly what we do short term you know, we, we, we have the players that we have, and you can't change everybody in a year. Sure. So you got to find a way for those guys to be successful and do what they do well. And, um, you know, I've, I've had plenty of seasons that, you know, we started off one way and then we get loaded with injuries, and then you finish another way. And the way you played at the end of the season might not even resemble some of the schemes you were using early in the year, but you had to match it to your personnel. You had to plug up um, holes. You had to handle injuries. Um, that's one of the things that experience has really helped. I had some failures early in my career doing that. You know, I forgot about the strengths of the team. I spent too many, too much of my time worrying about the weakness. And um, you know, later in my career, I benefited from that. You know, we all benefit from making mistakes early sure. in our careers. And you know, I, I look at it. You know, some of the successes we've had later. With understanding, you know, yeah, we have weaknesses, but yeah, let's accentuate our positives. Um, you know, let's 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 make opponents worry about those things as opposed to spending all our times trying to, you know, trying to um, you know cover things up. Um, you know, but you know, I mean, I've heard a lot of different people say that um, that good teams get better over the course of the season. You know, you've heard some of the greatest coaches in the NFL say that. And I get what they're saying. I don't necessarily agree. I, I would say the good teams find out who they are and 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 they build toward that. You know, and it's a little bit of a funnel early in the year. You really don't know. Your cast of carriers, even if you have the exact same guys back, it's probably going to be a little bit different than the year before. Your dynamics a little bit different. Your leadership's a little bit different. One some guys are one year more mature and better. Some guys are one year older and maybe less effective. So, you know, the whole thing is figuring out who you are, what your personality is going to be, what's going to fit um, what's going to fit you the best, and then you get good at those things. And sometimes the best coaching you can do is just get out of the way. You know, give them a good framework, something that fits them. Um, you know, make, make sure your communication's good, make sure your rules are good, streamline your communication, simplify things as much as you can, and then, and then you know, you know, let, let the dogs eat. And, um, you know, I think that that's, that's another part of maturing as a coach is, is you can sort of, you don't feel like you need to inject yourself into it. You know, let your players shine. Let your, do what your players do the best. And, um, like I said, sometimes the best coaching is just, um, you know, getting out of the way, give them a good framework, and, 
and and let those guys run. There's other times where you have to you have to create some some stuff. Maybe you're challenged because of injuries. Maybe you're challenged talent wise, and um, you know maybe maybe you need to do a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I will I'll quote Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells famously said, "If you don't have any tendencies, you're probably not very good." <laughs> Right. And some of the best defenses I've had, some of the best defenses in the National Football League, some of the best um, offenses in the history of the National Football League did what they did and did it well. And it fit their guys, and they had good players in position, and um, you know, and they, and they were successful as a result. This is what we're going to do, try to stop it, right? Yeah, it has, and, a, little, it has a little bit of that. And, yeah. when, you, and when, you, when, you have, when you have players like you mentioned, you know, um, you know, when you have um, you know good guys up front or guys that can cover, I'm really excited about our corners. Get great corners. Yeah, you know, and I've had probably um, you know I've I've had varying degrees of corners. When I was in Buffalo for a year, we had we had we were strong up front. Jerry Hughes, Marcel Darius, Kyle Williams, Mario Williams. We had a lot you of sacks, a and yeah, yeah we you were led the league. We were good in just about every yeah. area. Um, you know, we were we were really good defense. Maybe one of the best I've had. But a um, little bit under under recognized was how strong our corners were with Steph Gilmore and Leotis yeah. McKelvin and Corey Graham and Nikel Roby, um, Aaron Williams at the safety. I mean, you know, those guys could cover, and you didn't need to protect them very much. And he also had a great attitude of um, like, I got that guy, and um, you know, get out of my way, clear the dance floor for me. I'll get that guy covered. Um, you know, cover is is a lot of swag and a lot of um, confidence, and you got to back that up. But those guys did, and that freed us up to do so much more stuff up front. And like I said, I'm I'm really excited to work with the young corners they have here. Um, you know, uh, I think I think that can put us in a good position. That can, you know, that can sort of synergize with what we do up front. You know, maybe there's times we can bring more guys in protection because we can single guys up in the back end. Um, you know, there's there's times we can be aggressive, and you know that'll help guys like Miles out. They'll take chips off of him. That'll take center slides away from him, and give him some more one-on-one opportunities. And you know, when it's all said and done, I've I've said this with a lot of you know great players in the past, but I'll have a I'll have a little spot on my wall in my office that says you know anything that gets Miles Garrett one-on-one is good um, is a good scheme. Yeah. And um, you know, and then, and then you and then you just let him let him play, you know. But we don't need to try to necessarily scheme guys to get open. I mean, if you do, maybe they do, maybe they don't. You're sort of counting on the offense to screw up, or you're bringing more than they can possibly go, which has its own pitfalls. But you know, we can get our best players one on one and create matchups for those guys. We'll be in a pretty good place, particularly with guys like Miles. What makes Miles so special, and why he's so excited to coach him? Yeah, he's a freak show. Um, you know, there's not many guys that have walked this planet that have his size and his athletic ability. I mean, you know, just when you watch him, um, you know, I know he, he suffered with some injury in the middle of the year last year, and some of those games, you know, didn't look like the 95 that you see early or late or you're used to seeing, but he got it back at the end of the year. And, um, you know, just incredible balance, incredible bend, yeah. explosiveness. Um, plays hard, um, productive, great eyes for the quarterback. Um, you know, it's 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 really exciting. And I've had I've had some good ones, and you know, I think he's got a chance to be you know at the top of that list, and um, maybe at the top of the list, um, you know, in in this league, and then maybe even in the history of this league. He's got that kind of talent. He's got that kind of personality, 
and um, you know, sort of our job as coaches to find ways to, to free him up one on one, you know, and uh, and build around that kind of player. Yeah, well, one of the edges that you coached to prominence, Brandon Graham, called you a wizard at the Super Bowl when he was asked about the Browns getting you as a defensive coordinator. And I would well, be, I'd be remiss if I didn't note that you lined him up over a guard on the play that led to the strip sack that led to the Super Bowl victory for your Eagles. So obviously something there moving yeah, guys Yeah, we moved. B- BG was tough because he's, he's sort of short and squatty and yeah. really powerful, and sometimes he was a hard handle for – you know, some of the offensive tackles just because of his natural leverage. You know, I go back with Brandon a long way. I coached him in the senior bowl and saw firsthand. And then, obviously, he got to Philly after he had been in the league. But, you know, he, he had never really hit his stride yet. And, um, you know, just it's, it's a pleasure to coach guys like Brandon and made a lot of big plays for us, um, you know, over, over our time there. And I'm excited for him in the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, when you talk about team that can rush the quarterback, man, <laughs> seventy sacks. Yeah, I mean, holy mackerel. Um, you know, they're 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 still getting it done, and you know, guys like Fletcher still getting done. Grave Digger, Hargrave is um, had an outstanding year. Reddick was holy mackerel. Um, yeah, and it really, it's really impressive to watch, and that really sets the tone. I say say this: all the great teams that I've been around, and a lot of the great teams I've observed in history, the engine that drives their Nah, I don't know what to call it. They're, 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 the tempo is created by the defensive line. Up front, yep. And when you can have 300-pound guys running wide open, like I said, playing without a seatbelt and hustling to the ball, it just sets such a great tempo for the rest of your, um, for the rest of your guys and for your team. Um, you know, and that's what we'll aspire to here. And um, you know, BG had a lot to lot to do with that. But he called me a wizard probably because I'd just get out of his way and let him go, <laughs> give him a good framework and go. You know, wasn't you know? I mean, it, that yeah. that play that wasn't anything other than getting the matchup. And you know, Brandon Graham one on one against that guard was a good matchup for us. And you know, we we didn't we didn't play great that game, but we made the play that we had to. And 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 Brandon helped do that. I would be remiss if I didn't say Malcolm Jenkins on that play took Brady's first look away. Brady Brady was trying to hit Gronk. Jenks saw it, sunk into it, and then Brady had to uh, had to reload that pump, thing yep. to go to the flat, and that gave Brandon the time. So. You know, not every player we talked about, Miles, you know, talk about any of these guys, talk about our corners. But um, when you're truly operating efficiently on defense and and, you're, and your guys complement each other, you know, and, and your corners are able to cover better because the pass rush is clocking the quarterback. Um, or your, your corners are covering long enough, which is buying time for those guys to go in and make those plays. But there's unsung heroes on every play. There's no player that stands alone. Ultimate team game. We'll get you out of here real quick on this. Two quick ones. Joe Thomas, first ballot Hall of Fame. When you're a defensive coordinator and you went against the Browns many times, when you've got a tackle like that, does that actually affect a defensive coordinator? Oh, sure. What made him so good in your mind? Yeah, you know, I mean, he was one of those guys I just thought had, like, like, such low blood pressure and i and i mean that in a in a in a really complimentary yeah. way um it was, john wooden had a quote like like be quick but don't be in a hurry or slow as fast is joe, that, he says that all the time joe thomas oh, really? says that all the oh, time wow. I'm, I'm, slow as fast wow okay yeah. yeah but and and you could see that in yeah. his play he was never frazzled he had outstanding technique i mean he's a talented guy and, yeah but he had outstanding technique you could never you could never seem to rattle him over the course of the game and um, or over the course of a season. 
And um, wow, you know, that's I, I think in a nutshell that that was his. He never he never got outside his technique. He was patient. He had a lot of confidence, and um, you know, you know, I, it, 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 he's going he's going to have a he's going to have a gold jacket, no doubt. I want to leave you with this. I always like to ask, you know, something, give the fans a way to understand you, the human, a little bit. And so I'm going to go back at a little research here. In your high school yearbook quote, this is what you said you like to do in your free time. Playing sports. Check. Weightlifting. Yep. Partying. Well, yeah, well, back, like in the day, yeah, back, back in the day. Back in the day. day sure. Back in the day. And listening to Judas Priest. Yeah, a lot of 80s heavy metal in my background. Okay, so yeah. what is Jim Schwartz, the Jim Schwartz that sits before me right now, if you're right now in my free time, whatever you may have. Yeah, I don't Limited. have very much free time to when you have kids. You don't you don't get to play sports very much. My golf game went way downhill when the, <laughs> when the kids because you know it's hard to go spend six hours playing golf. Of course, you need to spend time with, with the your, kids with your family, particularly in this business where we we spend so much time in the office. Uh, but now my kids are in college now, so maybe I'll I'll restart that and uh, can become a bogey golfer again. I've got some great courses here. That, you do, um, you know that that I could that I could work with. Um, Still like, Judas Priest. I like golf to eat and too Judas much. Priest. Yeah, you know I got some country music in me. I mean I lived okay. in Nashville way too long to not enjoy sure. country. I love the stories with country, but yeah, at heart, if I'm going if I'm going to work out, um, and and all my time working out now is trying to get small, not trying to get big. <laughs> Right. You know, I mean, I change. You know, I used, sure. to, used to try to be a meathead, and um, and and now it's it's all just Peloton and rowing, and you know, and and, and high reps. I'm I'm trying to get um, small, not big. But you still, it, it's it it's 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 not just sort of fun. It just um, it helps you concentrate in the day. If you can keep yourself fit, um, you know, it, it helps you in a lot of ways. But if I'm if if I get an especially hard workout, I'm still rolling back to Metallica and 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 Priest and you know Scorpions and Tesla and Guns and Roses and I love it. you know that's my um, that's my thing. But if I'm in the car on a long trip, you know maybe maybe it's more Kenny Chesney and Eric Church and you know those kind of guys. Coach, this has been pure joy. I, I could sit here and talk with you for hours. Love listening to the way you kind of break down ball and everything and certainly very happy to have you here. And yes, the focus is not on press conferences, not on these interviews. <laughs> it's on going out there and winning games. And unfortunately, we have to wait a while to do that. This fall, you said we have miles to go. Credit to Gibby for that one, but yeah. certainly happy to have you here. And thanks so much for the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. That was Jim Schwartz. We'll be back to more Clean Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet right after this. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Fans, mark your calendars for Face Off on the Lake presented by Meyer, the first major outdoor hockey game at First Energy Stadium on February the 18th. The Ohio State Buckeyes will host the Michigan Wolverines at First Energy. Tickets are on sale now starting at just $12. Man, this is coming up fast. For more information, visit firstenergystadium.com slash faceoff or call 440-891-5050. Very happy now to go to the hotline as ESPN NFL Nation Chiefs reporter Adam Teicher joins the program via the Twisted Tea hotline brought to you by Twisted Twisted Tea, Hard Ice Tea, an official sponsor of the Cleveland Browns. Keep it twisted. Adam, how are you doing, man? What's going on down there in the Valley of the Sun? Hey, how are you guys doing? We're great. We're great. Adam, am I crazy? I was last week on our show. We had a lot of people come on, or two weeks ago, leading up to the AFC Championship game. I was the only one that picked the Chiefs. 
I was like, everybody's just acting like the Chiefs are going to lo- get rolled. They're the Chiefs. You've got Mahomes, Kelsey, Andy Reid, Chris Jones, and now we're going to the Super Bowl. And I'll tell you, I've had a bunch of people on the show this week, and they're all on the Eagles. A- am I going nuts? This team's been the AFC Championship five straight years, the Super Bowl three times out of the last five. They've won it once, maybe twice now. And, and it feels like they're Rodney Dangerfield getting no respect. I- I'm dumbfounded. <laughs> Yeah, well, the uh, you know Chiefs have a lot going for them. There's no doubt about it. And anybody who's looking at this the right way probably realizes that. But the Eagles do too, you know. Yeah, so, they're good. Uh, I'm expecting a competitive game and uh, could see it going either way. There's some things I think the Chiefs definitely need to do that they got done against the Bengals. They're also going to have to do against the, the Eagles to win this game. But, um, hey, uh, certainly stranger things have happened in football than the Chiefs beating the Eagles, no doubt. Yeah, this is kind of the matchup I think that it felt like we were on a collision course for. It could have been the Niners, and the same would have been true of them, that you know the Niners hadn't lost since October. The Eagles haven't lost with Jalen Hurts since October. I think the Chiefs haven't lost since then. Last time they lost, I think, was to the Bengals or, or maybe early November. These are the hottest teams in the league. They're the two number one seeds in their respective conferences, and now they meet for a Super Bowl. Does this feel... Like, and they played the Niners. They played, obviously, Brady and the Buccaneers. Does this feel, just from a football standpoint, like the biggest of the three trips to the Super Bowl? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the Eagles are the best of the three opponents that the Chiefs have played. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, the 49ers were were a great defensive team and did some good things offensively, but had Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. Um you know, the Bucks uh, certainly were a formidable team. They were probably a, a step up from the 49ers. But I think this Eagles team, the way they can get after the quarterback and, and what they have going for them on offense, I think this is a more complete team than anything the Chiefs have seen yep. in uh, the Super Bowl in recent years. So we'll see how well they handle it, but um, I still expect them a pretty good game. It should be, and I think that's the question. You want to operate with Patrick Mahomes. You want to get the ball to Kelsey and Juju and Marcus Valdez-Scantling, who had a very nice game in that AFC Championship win over the Bengals. You need time, and you're facing a, a team that is five sacks away from breaking the 85 Bears record for the most sacks in a single season and postseason. How do the Chiefs handle that pass rush? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, they have some decisions to make, and um, um, it's not going to be easy, I don't think. But I'll say this. I mean, the, the Chiefs were overwhelmed by the Bucks' uh, pass rush in the uh, Super Bowl two years ago. Yep. Um, uh, but I don't see a similar thing happening this time. Um, you know, the Chiefs have upgraded tremendously on the offensive line since then. These are – Four new starters from that game, um, including uh, some guys who are going to the Pro Bowl this year, and three of them are going to the Pro Bowl. A fourth certainly has a case to be made for him going to the Pro Bowl. So uh, Chiefs have a lot uh, going for him on that offensive line, but it's going to be a challenge, no doubt about it. Where do you put what Chris Jones did in the uh, AFC Championship in terms of things you've seen him do in big moments for this team? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's funny. He had never had a postseason sack until the AFC Championship game, which is crazy because he's played some really good games. Um, You know, he just hasn't sacked the quarterback. I mean, the the, the Super Bowl 54 against the 49ers, he knocked down three passes and was a a pretty good force that day. Didn't get to the quarterback, but uh, 
uh, you know, he, he uh, got a hit on the quarterback, made him uh, Garoppolo, made him throw an interception that day. So, you know, he's done some really good things in big games, but that was the first sack, uh, first couple sacks he's he's had. So, uh, um, but just a tremendous game. And, um, I, you know, I think the Chiefs are going to need something similar for from him if they're going to win on Sunday. They will, and you're right. That pass breakup is uh, – I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and grew up a Niners fan. My father, a diehard Niners fan. The pass breakup, I think it was on a pass to Kittle that probably won them the Super Bowl, that Chris Jones got his big mid up there because that looked like that was going to be a nice completion with a chance for, for more there. So he has been good, and that kind of flips it around, right? So we talked a little about the offense against the defense for the Chiefs. This defense led by Chris Jones, they get Legereus Sneed back. Those rookies have had great seasons, but this is a very difficult offense to deal with. Elite offensive line, Hurts dual threat. Sanders is, you know, the least talked about 1,200-yard, 11-touchdown, 5-yard to carry back, maybe in NFL history. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Goddard. It's a complete team. It's a complete team. How did the Chiefs slow them down? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. You know, I um, this game, to me, is like all Chiefs games that I analyze and look at beforehand in that I always feel like it's going to come down to what happens when the opponent has the ball and, and what, what the Chiefs are going to get done on defense. And they have to get – that's how I felt about last week's game or the, the AFC Championship game against Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, I felt like the Chiefs had to get some things done that they hadn't been getting done against the Bengals. You know, they, they needed to uh, pressure the quarterback, um, which they had not done a good job against uh, against Cincinnati well they got five sacks and got some other pressures on him on Joe Burrow and they needed to um, uh, play well in the red zone and they made the Bengals kick two field goals on three trips into the red zone and they needed to uh, force a couple turnovers they forced a couple turnovers you know those are the kinds of things they hadn't been doing against Cincinnati I, I feel like it, it's going to require a similar effort by the Chiefs this week against the Eagles. They got to make them kick field goals. They got to get them off the field early with some uh, 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 takeaways, a couple takeaways maybe, and then uh, some pressure on Jalen Hurts uh, wouldn't hurt either. So uh, I think if the Chiefs can get those three things done in a reasonable amount, similar to what they did maybe against the Bengals last week, that they can win this game, that they will win the game. Um, but it's uh, now whether they can get it done I don't know. It's going to be a bigger challenge against the Eagles than it was against Cincinnati. In your mind, is Isaiah Pacheco a little bit of a wild card in this one? Because if there is one area, and this was talking to some of the Eagles people, that they are susceptible to, it is a, a power-running attack. Pacheco's really kind of brought that to this team. Is that Could he be a wild card in this one, an X factor? Oh, absolutely he could. Uh, I think he, there is that potential there. He's sort of revitalized the Chiefs' running game. Uh, since he took over from Clyde Edwards-Alaire as the feature back. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, you know, a healthy dose of, a dose of Pacheco makes a lot of sense for the Chiefs. But um, I, I just that's not Andy Reid's way. That hasn't been his way. I, I never predict the Chiefs are going to run the ball a lot because right. Andy Reid very seldom does. So uh, even when the opponent is begging him to run the ball. So... Um, we'll see how uh, crucial of a factor Pacheco turns out to be, but I do think that uh, there is that potential, no doubt. Yeah, it is going to be it's going to be a fun one. How big was it for not only the Chiefs but for Harrison Butker, who's had some ups and downs this year at times, to put that one through the uprights and send them to the Super Bowl? 
No, no, it's a major deal. Um, you know, he, he's finished the season well. He uh, had a great yep. final regular season game and then uh, has been very good in the playoffs too. And that is big uh, for the Chiefs. They've been bleeding a lot of points with their kicking game this year. Um, their opponents uh, missed two field goals and no PATs all year. Meanwhile, the Chiefs had missed a bunch of field goals, a bunch of PATs, um, one of the worst uh, uh field goal percentages in the league, I think second worst during the regular season, if I remember right. So, you know, that's another place. The Chiefs can't can't be lacking there. They can't give up points um, uh, against this opponent um, when, when they have a chance to get them. So, uh, yeah, they, they've got to make their kicks, too. Harrison Butker's another kind of X factor for me. If he has a strong game, um, that, that's another factor in the Chiefs' favor. All right. How do you see it going? What's your prediction? Well, like I said earlier, if the Chiefs can get some things done defensively like they did against Cincinnati, I feel pretty good about their chances to win. I just don't know. They've been up and down on defense this year, and um, you know their, their pass rush has been fairly consistent. But other than that, you don't know what you're going to get from that group from week to week. So I, I just don't know that you can count on the Chiefs defensively. And in that case, I'm going to go with the Eagles in a close game, a high-scoring game, maybe 34-30, something like that. Wow. I have a feeling it's going to be a great one. It'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. So many storylines. It should be great. One seed versus one seed. Let it rip. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, anytime, guys. All right, that was ESPN NFL Nation Chiefs reporter Adam Teichier joining us via the Twisted Tea hotline brought to you by Twisted Tea Hard Ice Tea, an official sponsor of the Cleveland Browns. Keep it twisted. Cleveland will be back with so much more to come here on Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by Ballybet. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by Ballybet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. When a medical mistake causes you injury, call the medical malpractice attorneys at 1-800-ELK-OHIO. Elk and Elk, proud partner of the Cleveland Browns. All right, wrapping it up. If, you, if you're just joining the show now and you missed the one on with Jim Schwartz, find it. Uh, I know we're going to post it. Seek it out on the podcast. Listen to it. It was awesome. He was very generous with his time, generous with his answers, and I think you'll learn a lot about him, his philosophy as a coach, and and a kind of a look at what we'll, we'll get out of this team. Also, best wishes to the Hoff. Yeah, I said the Hoff. They're not going to get this wrong. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer because he just is. That's just, it's like when the guy got up to speak on behalf of, who, I forget who Pete it was. Pete Manning. On Pete Manning. Bob Kravitz. Bob, it's Pete Manning. It's the Hoff. That's why you call him that. That's because he is. So best of luck to him tonight. NFL honors will be going on tonight. So lots of good stuff there uh, to check out and should be a lot of fun. But obviously, hope we're all hoping for the, the great news about our good friend, number 73, the Hoff Joe Thomas. And if he does go in, if he is, in fact, enshrined in the Hall of Fame, we might have a chance to, to talk with him tomorrow. I'm assuming that we will find time. More importantly, I'm assuming he will make a few minutes. I hope for so. Us. He's going to be a, he's going to be quite in demand, a busy man out there. He I and and rightfully so, rightfully and deservedly so. so. Yes, 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 indeed. So, I just wonder, like, he is not a man that is that is one with the limelight. No, you know, he doesn't like it on him. But it, it it's going to be on you for the next eight months, and again, deservedly so. Agreed. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Soak and, it in. Like, come on. Like, I don't know what time this is going down tonight. Like, I feel like we're going to have to stay up late before we, we get the official notification. But It's worth it. 
It's the half. Like it, it's going to be a moment that oh, baby. we won't forget. No. Nice job on Schwar- with Schwartz today. Thanks, brother. He was great. He I, was I really enjoyed good. talking with him. So we got to give him a lot of thanks. Thanks to Gerard Cherry for joining us as well. Uh, thanks to Adam Teicher for joining the program. Uh, you had people from Arizona calls. We had the D.C. right here in the studio. So it, it, it's been fantastic. And then Gibbe, bon voyage to you. Yep. I'll be back Tuesday. Okay. Any word from Bishop? No, I sent him, I sent him the uh, – uh, a, a fun text and then ask him how's Disney brother kids must be loving it nothing he's enjoying he's in the moment he's being, weather's nice weather's good yeah and I'm getting and, good weather it looks like the weather he's gonna have one bad day Saturday no, maybe it's now gonna be Sunday when oh, he's flying so, home so he should fine. be good he should he's be safe. clear through it all he's safe he's gonna so, it's gonna be a real delight for him I, I think Bo's calling in tomorrow little final over unders of the year the Super Bowl score uh, I think Poizal will be in studio. Final position preview or review, I should say. Mailbag tomorrow. Yep, little mailbag, so get ready with that. If I'm feeling really saucy, I might even take a call or two. I don't know. I don't think that ends well for anyone. It could. If they have good calls, we can have a great time. Some great discourse. Yeah. A back the and first forth. guy drops a bomb and then. Well, they, we drop that and then that's it. Then they get punished. That's it. You don't get an out no more. If, you, if that kind of behavior happens. Come on. Respect the process, as they say. Respect the process. So coming up next, you got the next level, Gerard and Emmett. Gerard, are they both out there? Give no, it. just Gerard. Just Gerard out there. Emmett, Emmett got shortchanged. I don't know. He's 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 just discovering I, how great Scottsdale is. By that the way, the trade deadline's like five minutes from now, and in the time that we've been on the air, I feel like there's been 18 trades. Yeah, there's been a lot. 100 second-round yeah. picks that have been traded. Yes. Also, by the way, RIP Burt Bacharach. Yeah. Had a great cameo, obviously a great musician, but a tremendous cameo in Austin Powers. Yes, he did. What the world needs now is love. All right. Not just for some. For everyone. We love you. Thanks for joining us. Let's go Hoff. For Gibbe, Connor, for Drod, for Jim Schwartz. Nathan's Gura saying thanks for listening to Clean Browns Daily, brought to you by Bally Bet. Coming soon to Ohio. The next level is next here on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and 850 ESPN Cleveland.